My guest this week is swiftly carving a place in the hearts and most importantly, the minds of so many. And she's showing no signs of stopping yet. Collecting accolades left, right and centre at the moment from the Brit Awards to Enemy. She speaks her truth in a way that I really respect and I'm so excited to see what she's going to be doing in the future. It's almost impossible to listen to her music without feeling some kind of way. And given that so many of her tracks are steeped in South London soul, I thought it was only fair to delve a bit deeper into her relationship with London. Welcome to This City, the podcast that reveals the stories, hidden gems and certified spots tried and tested by some of London's most recognisable names. Whether they're born and bred in the capital or have made it their second home, London holds a key piece to their hearts. And this week, it's rising star Joy Crooks. Joy Crooks. Hi, Clara. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, before you sat down, you said your bum was feeling sweaty. Yes, I did. Thank you for adding me. Do I need to get any tissue? You're right. You know what? The thermal will soak it up. Okay, lovely, lovely. Look, you're cosy because it's still a little bit cold in this city. Um, but not in this room. It's not. We are in quite a cosy uh, recording booth. And it's just lovely to have you here. Where did you come in from today? I came in from Crouch End because I was doing a Nike workshop. Oh, Crouchon. Yeah, Crouchon. Fancy. Uh, but you, this is a North London situation, but you are a South London girl. Yes, I am. Tell me about your roots. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Elephant and Castle. Yeah. Well, you just, just that, just it was Elephant and Castle. No, I want to hear, hear more about it. You want to know all about yeah, it? man. Oh, bloody hell. Where do I start? What are your early memories? Well, like, I used to go to church with my dad. And basically around the corner from the Imperial War Museum, because my church is near there, there's a Buddhist part of the park. And it was the Dalai Lama that opened it in Elephant and Castle. No it's, it's called the Peace Garden. That's what we call it. It's like made out of concrete walls or like these beautiful like slabs and it just creates this like circle shaped garden and you kind of have to like walk through a space to get in there. So like walk through the space between the concrete and then you're just in this like round, it almost looks like a UFO landed and you're in this peace garden and suddenly it's just like silence even though you're in the middle of a park that a lot of people know because of imperial war museum and actually that park's called bedlam because there used to be a mental hospital there called bedlam so there's like all this weird history in this park and then there's just this peace garden and opened by the dalai lama and no one knows even though there's a whole like tombstone saying dalai lama opened this i had no idea and that was really fascinating as you were explaining that your voice got quieter yeah as you're speaking it's so beautiful about the peace garden i've had a lot of memories there with my current partner, I remember thinking I was mad to do this, but I'd met him at field day in Brockhall Park because I asked him for a lighter. I didn't Sleep. have I didn't have anything to light, Clara. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so he just looked at me like I was walking gonorrhea and I kind of just looked at him like, <laughs> yeah, I just looked at him like, you're kind of buff, but you're kind of shy still. I like a man with confidence. But to be fair, he's just, there's something about him. And he had a Ghanaian outfit on, even though he's not actually Ghanaian, he's Caribbean. But he had a Ghanaian outfit on from his uncle because his uncle used to go to Ghana because he believes that their roots are there. That's so, a pass. No, it is. And it's, and it's batik fabric and it's beautiful. And I actually got him one remade recently, handmade, and I went and bought Ghanaian fabric and everything. Oh, look at anyway. you getting in there with the community. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I made sure it was all like handmade and stuff, all of that. And so we're on our first date, after field day, 
he was like, oh, just passing through your area, you know, can we um, want to get a beer? And I was like, okay, fine, yeah. And I was thinking, what am I going to do in ends? Because, you know, there's not... If I take him to Nando's, it's too hot. Like, everyone will know <laughs> that on the first date. Is Nando's, him, is Nando's one of your favourite date spots? Well, it's not a date spot. It's just a convenience spot in Elephant and Castle. Because to be fair, when I was growing up, there wasn't that much there. But it was a really beautiful day and the sun hadn't set or anything. So I was like, you know what? I said to him, should we just get a couple cans and go to the park? He's like, okay, cool. He got a red lion stout, very Caribbean move. <laughs> I got a cherry V. <laughs> we went to um we went to um the Peace Garden, which I thought was nuts because I'd never I'd never taken like a partner there, let alone like a first date. We went to the Peace Garden and our first conversation was about empathy. I was like, <sighs> We gonna be together for a long time. I mean, <laughs> you telling me that story has put mm. such a smile on my face. A cherry bee, yeah. A red stripe, a new no, guy. no, no, red stout. It's a the red, red stout. lion stout. Yeah. A red lion stout. Yeah, in a peace garden in South London is like that's the it's like a, that's a pure London love story. It's the ultimate mixed race love story. <laughs> <laughs> but look, but look, but that is, but is that not South London? Like it is. Oh, completely. Because he was drinking this stout and I was like, what's that? And he's like, stout. And I was like, oh, I love stout because my family's Irish. He's like, oh, my family's Caribbean and English. And I was like, oh, that's mad. And then you have this whole conversation about culture and, and like, he had like a adopted grandfather who was Irish, basically. So he knew a lot about Irish culture. And my dad being Irish knows a lot about Caribbean culture because I grew up with Caribbean people because my dad was really close to Caribbeans growing up in London. Mm. Um, he didn't grow up in London, he grew up in Ireland. But coming to London at the time he did, he, you know, Irish and Caribbean people were very close. And as we've all seen the famous poster, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Yes, correct. So um, and my dad was in Brixton. He moved to Brixton first because there was a lot of Irish people in Brixton as well as Caribbean people. So for us to just even have that is very London. To have that like understanding of each other's cultures, but not empathy, but sympathy for each other's cultures. For that to be one of the conversations we first had in our relationship as well is so London. So you mentioned your dad is Irish. Yeah. And your mum is from... Bangladesh. How did that feed your childhood, those meetings of culture in Elephant particularly? They were never really together while I was alive. So it's weird because I went to my dad's house and it was Irish. And I went to my mum's yard and I lived in my mum's yard and it was Bengali. So I get a lot of Bengali people being like, did you grow up eating dal? And I'm like, <laughs> I grew up in a Bengali household. I just so happened to have another house that I'd go to that was Irish. So like, I grew up with 100% of both, not 50-50. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So I feel like that's something that people sometimes can't wrap their head around, especially if your parents are separated. You literally have two homes, one being one culture, one being the other culture. So it was vibrant. The thing about being Bengali Irish is you don't have anyone who's Bengali Irish. And even if you do, like I know a lot of Bengali Irish people that have way different generation or their stories are different. Da, da, da. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think you are the first Bengali Irish person I think I've ever met. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There's Indian Irish, but it's still different. Mm. I feel like a lot of things come into play. Like, and I, this is something I'd love to explore with you mm. because I get asked these questions in very... European space I'm just going to leave it at European spaces of interviews and they just like so what blood do you have more Bengali or Irish it's like oh. that's completely inappropriate what's it like being biracial in 2019 the same as it was for me in 2017 and 1998 when I was born like, <laughs> <laughs> also why the fuck do I need to explain that to you but I feel like with my mum and dad my Bengali side is very matriarchal you need to understand that my mixed raceness it is the brown mother and the white father, right. which automatically 
is a not stereotype in itself because a lot of brown men get with white women but for an actual woman from Bangladesh to turn around and be like I want to date whoever I want to date this how I'm going to be it's a big deal but because my Bengali family are really open liberal and don't adhere to certain stereotypes unfortunately that do exist within our culture it was inevitable that my mom would just do what she wanted to do anyway because my grandma was the same my grandma remarried she's a Muslim woman Muslim women don't remarry really it's not really in the culture so I'm like a part of this lineage of matriarchy on my Bengali side. And then the Irish side, my dad was the only one in his family that first got a degree. He was from a working class Dublin background. So they're both spiky. So that is like a, when they come together, it's a bit of an explosion. I always find it really interesting to look at both my parents and look at, especially because of how different culturally they are, what I take from both and why my situation being Bengali Irish is different to maybe someone else who's been called Irish. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And I mm. think obviously I, I, I'm not you. I haven't lived your experience, but from what I perceive mm. and not to lazily bring it back to like, you know, there's the subject of this podcast, mm. but it is about people's lives in London and mm. the fact that, listen, London is not perfect. Mm. Let's not pretend we live in a post-racial utopia. But from what I perceive, it seems like there is nowhere else that you could have the freedom to be you mm. and to be Joy Crooks in the most fullest form. Yeah. Than this city. Than London. Does no, that I agree. Sense? Yeah, and you know what? Even having relationships with someone who's like Caribbean, British, and that not being a thing in a sense of like, I've never dated anyone where I've been able to talk so openly about my identity, particularly my background, my heritage. And how much we have in common, even though we're not from anywhere of the same mixes. We have so much in common. I've never had that anywhere in the world. And like I said, maybe New York, you'd find it there. But, mm. you know, even our jokes, you know, when you tell a joke and someone understands all your cultural references. It's a fantastic feeling. It's just like, it's like a joke orgasm. <laughs> Not, not like an orgasm that's a joke, but as in like a <laughs> when someone tells a joke and then it's an orgasm from a joke. She never fakes it, Hans. No, never. Tell me about your sort of commute. So yourself, mm-hmm. brought up in Elephant. So mm-hmm. where was your mum's and where was your dad's? What was the journey? What bus were you taking? What were you yeah, doing? Yeah, so I would walk 25 seconds to my dad's yard. <laughs> so they were that close? Yeah. You could see my dad's house from my window. That's amazing. It is and it isn't because they did not get on. So right, okay. I don't know why they did that or why they thought that was clever. But yeah, they both lived in Elephant. For a year and a half when I was 14, I moved to West London with my mum to kind of just temporarily and then moved back to Elephant. And that was really interesting to move to West London. I was just going to ask, was it a culture shock? Yeah, hugely, but also no, because we moved to Notting Hill which was like, oh my God, where are we? This is super central. Even though Elephant Castle is central, Elephant has such a strong identity, in my opinion. And when I moved to Notting Hill, I was like, there's tourists everywhere. Like, people actually want to see this place. People are down to visit here. Oh my God, I can buy clothes here. I can get a Starbucks here. It's all mad. But then you walk about 10 minutes up the road and you're in Labrick Grove. And then in Labrick Grove, I was like, this is like South. And I found my home in Labrick Grove more than I did in Notting Hill. And the reason why I was happy that I moved there for a year and a half is because, I'm just going to say it bluntly, I think growing up in South, and I think growing up in an area that's like stereotypically known to be ends, you know, just unfortunately stereotypes did sometimes exist in the area, unfortunately. I think sometimes, not the violence, but the nature and the clash of cultures can create stigma. 
You know, so if you want to be the Bengali Irish girl that's rocking around in a Led Zeppelin t-shirt, you you think you're big now, yeah? You think you're, oh, you think you're white because you're moving like, because you play guitar in it. And it's just like, nah, be like, I'm just me. You get what I'm getting at. Do you know For what I mean? Sure. And yeah. I wasn't like going around parading that I was like different. Da, da, da. I was scared. I was scared to be different. And I watched a movie recently, The Last Tree. And it's about a black boy growing up in, I think it was all filmed in Elephant, actually, or in South. And there's a scene where he's walking into school and he's got indie music in his headphones. And one of his boys stops him and he's like, oh, what are you listening to? He's like, oh, it's Tupac. And to me, that like screamed volumes. Like that was like my childhood. Some of the time I felt like I had to kind of just fit in and just go with the flow. Secretly, she'd be like... But secretly, I'd be going home. I'd see you Yeah, do you know what I mean? I'd see you going home to like listen to the Smiths and shit. Do you know what I mean? Which is like... Which is not bad. It's just like, I don't know, you get scared I mean, of that Morris stuff. Morris is, is a problematic fave. Oh, it's no, we don't like, we, he's cancelled still. But yeah. anyway, anyway, like back then he wasn't, you know, he was still doing up his meat as murder. And the thing is, Cara, move into West, because I didn't know anyone there, because I wasn't attached to the area in blood and roots and anything. It was like, you know what, I could go out dressed as an octopus and I'd feel fine. Do you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. I used to just feel constantly judged sometimes growing up and not really knowing who I was and trying to work out who I was and knowing that I wasn't really into XYZ and I was into rough trade records and I wanted to wear Doc Martens. And they're like, you got your punk shoes on. And I'm like, no, please. And then my best friend, who's actually gone in, she went and got iridescent purple ones and we were just like, we just felt like, geez, because you're like, look at us, we're so different. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I fully feel you. So I think West just let me, it let me like be myself for a bit and experiment with clothes and Notting Hill is very predominantly white. So I was around a lot more white people. Da, da, da. And it was just interesting to see how tables could turn. It was hard at times. I got some very weird comments at times. I was at Carnival once and I was with my friend who's English and one of her friends said to me, oh, you speak really well. And I was like, what does that mean? Because I was so young, I didn't know what that mean, meant. And that wasn't a conversation on grammar or anything. There's no such thing as that. So I just thought, if she thinks I speak well, I wonder. I said to her, you sound like the queen if I speak well. And then she was like, um, can you braid hair? And then I knew what was going on. Oh, so I said to her, yeah. So I braided her hair and her scalp looked like it was about to fall off itself. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, like, you know, I'd have like one or two of those situations where if I went to a party and it was predominantly white, sometimes I might have someone come up to me and be like, um, yeah, you're right. And I'd be like, yeah, like, you know, what's going on? <laughs> I don't know you. And they just want to come over and tell me how their mum like lived in Jamaica for a bit. And I'd just be like, how is that relevant to me sitting on this co- sofa drinking Coke? <laughs> You just become ethnic. You just become, we all get just put into one. There are some places where you just get put into one box. Like you are, you are this. It's like the term, walk becomes a race. Pock becomes a race. Yeah. I think both of those terms, they're a convenience, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you smartly, I get their context. Yeah. But I also think they can be quite lazy and quite dangerous. So it, I mean, just I, as that example. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's, I think what it's about context. What do I have context. to do with yeah. the trousers that your mum bought in Jamaica when she lived there for two weeks? Nothing. What do I have to do with that? Nothing. Nothing. But um, I'm not trying to diss like West London because actually, like I said, it has incredible traits of 
like the same as South, that mixed heritage, obviously the incredible lineage that Caribbean and the Windrush generation people brought to Labrook Grove, like places like Brixton. And you feel that, you know, there was a place called Mau Mau Bar and like they used to do, um, because obviously I grew up, I grew up with Roots Reggae because my dad's Irish and the, like we said, the Caribbean Irish link. And for him, Roots Reggae is a really important music, I guess, from him moving to London and how he associates South London with Mm. Roots Reggae and dub and a little bit of Lover's Rock if you're feeling in the mood for it. I used to go there and sing like reggae covers on like a Sunday night because you could go in and you could get in for free just by bringing tin food or go to the food bank and you could just get up and sing. I think that's such a beautiful concept. It's a, like when I found heard... there, I felt like, okay, I like West London now. That's fantastic. Yeah. So what were you singing? This is so funny. So the first time I got up on stage, I'd had enough red stripes to have the balls to do it. <laughs> and you have to go to the drummer and ask the drummer what song you want to sing. So I wanted to sing Max Romeo, Chase the Devil. I'm going to put on an iron shirt. And then I remember when I asked him, this guy looked at me up and down. He was like, he looked pissed. I was like, what have I, oh my God, what have I done? Have I been that stupid? No, I'm making a fool of myself. I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be doing this. He was like, okay, okay. Went up, sang the song. We had to reel it a couple of times because we wanted to get the right key for me. Then I get off stage and like an hour passes, he comes up to me, he goes, how do you know I was Max Romeo's drummer? Wow. I went, what? He went, you think I was looking at you like that for no reason? I was like, I thought I'd hurt you or done something wrong or been that basic chick that comes and sings like some basic song at a reggae bar. He was like, no, like, I'm Max Romeo's drummer. I was like, I had no idea. This is the same man that then introduces me to Paul Weller on Port Bella Road. I've spoken to Paul Weller about Ebola for the last 10 minutes and then proceed to ask him what his job was as well. <laughs> a bullet just looks at me. He's like, Joy, not again. Not again, but it's not my fault. Like, I just... I didn't know that he was Max Romeo's drummer. I like I knew Paul Weller looked familiar, but I thought I'd just seen him on Portobello a lot. <laughs> so hang on. <laughs> you speak to Paul Weller of the jam fame, of his obviously solo fame, thinking he's just the next man. And you had no idea it was him. I knew he looked familiar, but I just thought, you know what, he might just be just a local around here that I've seen a lot. That is genuinely I think one of the magical things about London probably not magical for the people that are extremely extremely famous but I think if you stand still in one spot for long enough yeah you will see somebody well known yeah this is when I met the lead guitarist of the clash Clara I cried and I bowed and where were you tell me about it okay so I really hated Notting Hill when I moved there I just wasn't they had it felt like there was no soul compared to Elephant and I just missed the smell of the market and I just I don't know I just miss seeing aunties every time I left the tube station or just like my friend's mum oh how are you auntie yeah I'm okay you need to come for food soon do you know what I mean I miss like the soul of my area what's familiarity isn't it yeah and like I was commuting from so every Saturday I'd commute from Streatham to Notting Hill I'm like a pretty legit Irish dancer I'm like grade 10 so what were you doing for that route? So what, you get what bus to do, what to do, what? You can get a bus to Elephant. But that day I, I had Morley's and I was sleepy, so I took a train. I used to get Morley's every time God, I finished. You, I was you really are South London. No, but it was so, the barbecue wings, you know what? After you've done two hours of exercise, it hits differently. So I had, <laughs> I always used to get six barbecue wings because eight would make me fall asleep and potentially wee myself. So I'd have six <laughs> to keep me in a conscious level. 
So I got on a train to Elephant, then the tube from Elephant to Notting Hill. It's a long journey. It's like a 80 minutes or something. I get to Notting Hill, I'm walking, and I'm on a back street now because I don't, I've got to avoid all the tourists on a Saturday. So I'm on back street and I've got my Irish dancing Connor Academy sweater on and my hair's really frizzy because when I'm dancing, it goes, you know, like all this sweat and stuff. I just go a bit frizzy and I look mash up and I was at the age when I hadn't discovered threading. So I had one eyebrow. Anyway. <laughs> I'm walking down this desolate road, la 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 la, something in my head, in my heart, in my bones, in my chest, in my stomach, no 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 no. Mind you, I just read all the Clash books, I just watched the films, I watched the documentaries, I watched like um, Don Letts' stuff, all of this. No, I can't be happening, no, no way. There's Mick Jones on the other side of the street, I was like, no, I need to go back, I'm hallucinating, this is mad. It was just me and him on the street, so I'm thinking, what do I do, do I go over there, do I he starts walking towards me. I'm like, oh my God, I'm about to faint at this point. And I said, excuse me, excuse me. And he went, love, are you going to ask me for directions? And I just said, thank you so much. Thank you. And I was bowing. I didn't even clock. I was bowing. I was bowing and I was crying. So I got a picture with him. And then you know what? I'd see him all the time. Paul Weller, Mick Jones, you name it. Literally London calling. Yeah. Talking of this city. But that is the thing. The, the band that wrote the best ever song about this city. Yeah. I got to meet the lead guitarist. Can you just tell me about the specific area in West and South that you okay. went to school? In South London, yeah. I went to school in Elephant and Castle. In West London, I went to school in Regent's Park. Right, okay. Yeah. And what did you sort of prefer? Both of them were two sides of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And obviously one was primary school and one was secondary school. Right, okay. So it's very different. Like, my primary school was state, my secondary school was private, but the secondary school, I wasn't there for as long. I think the thing about the secondary school was it wasn't as mixed as my state school. Sex-wise, racially? It was sex-wise and racially. Right, right. Um, Mainly boys, because a lot of private schools are actually boys' schools that turn into mixed schools. Mm. I'm not complaining, because to be honest with you, as soon as I got into the school, my mentality was, I need to do the best I can here. Because number one, I am the first person in my family to be able to have the opportunity to be in a school like this. I learned about hard work and drive in that school because I had to drive myself for a lot of things. Mm. And unfortunately, there was a lot of kids there that would say things I didn't agree with or their political views were things I, I fundamentally disagree with. Mm. So I left when I was 16 and mm. then I went to work for a Polish restaurant. Tell me about the Polish <laughs> restaurant. Were so, you a waitress? What were you doing? I was a waitress. I was front of house. So secondary school... Majority of that was in Elephant and Castle, moved to West London for a bit. So it was like West London and private school was all mad. That's why I was like, this is weird. Come back to Elephant, it's gentrified. I'm like, what on earth has happened here? Things are changing. Some of it is exciting. And then you realise that it's all undertones of very, 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 very dark, dark, dark things going on in the area. And um, I'm 16. I've dropped out of school. I have a management deal and I'm working in a Polish restaurant the reason why I got that job, Clara, is because this is one of the great things about Elephant at that time. You could buy £2.50 soup there and it come with a big loaf of bread and you'd be full afterwards and you'd be warm. So I used to just go there and get soup for £2.50. Touch. Working at the Polish restaurant was really interesting and I met all walks of life there and I think I've always been good at working with people because I used to work with my mum. Mum used to cater. We called her the sandwich lady because she'd be on in a little van at like three in the morning delivering sandwiches and stuff. So I knew about working with people. I'm quite a people's person. And I met people that I could eventually date. I met people that I wanted to kick out. I met people who I wanted to talk 
the world about with them you know I loved it and it taught me people skills that I wouldn't have learned anywhere else like what tolerance or open-mindedness like what what skills tolerance open-mindedness for sure how to just be nice for no reason with no agenda just be nice to people you know my mum taught me that to be honest with you she just said joy watch me make this sandwich she picked up a bagel. She said, hello, sir. How's your day today? Da-da. The way she interacted with people and how warm she made them feel. And she didn't have to do that. But she did. She said, Joy, they're always going to come back here. But just make them feel good. You know, you want that when you're having a shit day. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I like what your mum showed you because London is a great city. But I think something that we're low-key proud of, but also they're like, oh, it's a bit, it's not a great quality, is that mm. you get on the tube, mm. no one looks at anyone, mm. no one talks. No, that's not my vibe. But, I'm, but then I, at no. the same time, it can be the opposite. I think, I think do you know what? It, it's both extremes. It's I think, both extremes. Yeah, I don't both want, extremes, sometimes yeah. I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. And that's not from me being from London. That's just me. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like Irish people are infamously friendly. That's just how we are. They really are. And Bengali people are infamously cheeky. And that is really fun when you're being friendly because you can, there's a bit of sarcasm. British people, they love a bit of dryness and Mm. sarcasm. My my humour is very dry. And like in our family, we say, um, if you don't ask, you don't get. If you don't try and interact, like, of course you're going to get moody faces on the tube because you're not trying to interact. That's something I love about London, taxi drivers. Yeah. And sitting with taxi drivers in every city, to be fair. What's the best conversation you've had with one? I had one recently with this Somalian taxi driver. And we were talking about him teaching his daughters love and growing up with love. And we just had this long conversation. It was beautiful to hear him speak so openly about his family. I remember leaving the taxi and just saying to him, your daughters will be fine because they have a father like you. What an amazing example of a human being Mm. in London, going through Shoreditch, going through, you know, one corporate thing to the other, work, 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 and just having these conversations that for me take me straight back down to where I want to be in my head and in my heart. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's made me more conscious now for my next taxi journey. You've definitely got a five-star rating. I'm sure you do. Oh, yeah. I also probably don't get five-star ratings either. Because when I'm grumpy, I'm grumpy. Listen, <laughs> life, is, life is full of sweetness and spikes. Um, selling out venues in London. Let's talk about your Amira show. Okay. That was special to you, wasn't it? It was. Playing Amira in London Bridge was an amazing experience. But I was really nervous. It was my first headline show in a long time. It was mad to hear that many people singing my lyrics. I just think I was quite nervous then mm-hmm. for some reason. What are your... Um... White wine and whiskey. <laughs> I was going to say, what's your ritual before performance? Yeah, whiskey, but, okay. that's what it is. Fair enough. So now my ritual is I make a hot whiskey and I just make sure I sit down and I feel grounded. When I'm in the flow, my voice works. And when you're on tour, you're generally on the, in the flow. And if I feel a bit rubbish on stage, just look at your band because they love you and you love them. <laughs> Simple. Simple. <laughs> yeah. What's your venue goals? What's on your Brixton sort of... Academy. Yeah? Yeah. Do you remember the first gig you went to there? I saw Metronomy there and I didn't know I could mosh pit to Metronomy, but that was all gone. The best gig I've ever seen at Brixton Academy is The Streets and I went by myself, Clara. Nothing wrong And with loads that. of people came up to me being like you're by yourself aren't you and I was like no 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 my friends just took MD and they're in the front (laughs) big lie big fucking lie I was by myself 
And I made friends with this guy called like Terry or something. And he was with his mate. And we just all got arm in arm together and sang every song together. And it was amazing. Isn't it interesting that people felt compelled to almost shame you for being at a gig by yourself? You know what? They helped me. Because I thought, here's the dead corner, I'm moving further in. And the more I moved further in, the nicer people were because we were all proper, proper streets fans. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter. And it was the music that tied us together. So, And what is it about that venue in particular that helps you to enjoy experience so much? Like, Why do you like Brixton Academy? What is it about it? Um, that my grandma can walk to the venue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she can get home really quickly after. She doesn't have to go very far. And that's the fucking market that I used to buy, you know, the okra that she make okra curry with and the fucking, the fish and watch her barter everyone, even though she would call them her friend, you know. Let's give me an example. You're at Saturday, you're in the market with your nan, she sees some okra that she wants, but it's not a price that she wants to pay. She just persists on one price. Okay. He'd be like nine, four. And he'd be talking, she can't hear it. It's like she just cannot hear, four. Okay, four. I leave now. And then he, okay, fine. Yeah, there you go. And she's just so cute as well. She is like the cutest human being I know. So when she just opens her mouth to smile, you can't not let her have a £20 object for 20p. It's just how she is. You definitely inherited that. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what I've been bartering. I found a place called, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was called Farzine. And the photos just look good. And okay, I ordered pillow rice personally as a South Asian if I order pillow rice I can tell whether a restaurant is going to have good food or not because the way they cook it usually if it's like got this weird red rice in it it's like food coloring and you kind of know what vibe you're getting with food coloring I got the prawn bunna and the um, pillow rice and they sent it to my yard it was the best Asian food I have ever eaten outside of my mother's kitchen in my life oh my gosh Clara I'm so sad they closed and then the bunna had real green chili in there and not the small ones the big fuck off ones that are long strip that you cut in half and the spice was strong but it wasn't like a I wish you guys could see the gesticulation it was 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 strong strong. that was more towards borough London Bridge Mm -hmm. then very famous takeaway Afghan kitchen in Angel Always used to go there with my parents. And when I was three, four, five, maybe when they're trying to rekindle, la la la, wasn't working. We used to go to Afghan Kitchen in Angel. And I don't know if you tried Afghani food, but... I've never tried it, actually, I don't think. No, I've never tried Afghani food. No. Iranian food as well. So Afghan Kitchen in Angel and then for Persian food, Mm -hmm. like Queensway, Basewater, those areas there, they have amazing Persian food. Like, incredible. Have you tried Persian food? I have, actually. Persian food is yum. Do you know, I'm kind of hungry now. A little bit hungry. Um, I ask everybody this. You know, Sadiq Khani's out here. He's doing this thing. But just say you want to give it all up for one day. And if you were mayor of London for a day, what would you do? I wouldn't move mad like him and sign off papers that say, yeah, you can knock down Elephant and Castle Roundabout or Elephant and Castle Shopping Centre. And then get someone like UAL beside it being like discrimination hashtag never okay. When these people are actually involved in the gentrification of Elephant Castle, I would be more protective of areas, especially full of ethnic communities. Who are out here having market stores and empanada stores and fabric shops and spice stores to maintain their families. And I wouldn't get rid of that in a flash. If I was 
to do something to elephant, I might refurbish it. So you might have clients that could spend a bit more, da, 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 but I would protect my people in my area at all costs. That is something I feel like he doesn't do. And I know he doesn't do it because he's the one that signed off shopping, the shopping center getting locked down. Sadiq, you had a choice. You've let down the South Asian community. It's coming from me. Joy Crooks has spoken. Thanks very much for listening to this city. Now, do take the recommendations seriously. And if you happen to go to any of the places mentioned, do let me know by posting a picture using the hashtag ThisCityPod and make sure you tell them who sent you. I mean, try and get a discount or something. Um, I've been your host, Clara Anfo, and this podcast is available everywhere. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and CastBox. And if you like what you heard, which I hope you did, uh, please rate, review and tell your friends. I mean, we do like five stars. We'll accept four, but five is the sweet spot. Um, thank you again for listening. This has been a Sony Music fourth floor creative production.